Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show with your host, Jason Brown, where each week Jason teaches you how to get yourself and your clients brutally strong and, of course, well conditioned. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Strong AF and Well Conditioned. I am your host, Jason Brown. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Chris Swart, if I could say your name correctly. I always actually say your name. Do I say your name incorrectly? So it's, I always tell people it's Wart with an S in front of it. Okay. So Swart, is it? Swart. It, but people put Zs on it. People put, you know, S-C-H and Schwartz. I mean, it's all over the place. I've been called Chris Smart, which actually I'll take that one. <laughs> S with a Wart is, makes a whole lot more sense to me. So I just solved that issue that I was, I guess, a little bit self-conscious about. Uh, but needless to say, guys, we've got Chris on the show today, we are going to talk about all things programming and really more from the academia setting, talking about what is taught, what is not taught, how prepared are these students when they're coming out of, say, an undergrad program and then maybe going into the strength and conditioning setting. So Chris, why don't we start off with just give the audience a quick background on you, where you're coming from, obviously your level of education, and then we can take it from there. Absolutely. So just in general, I was like many people to get into this field. I was an athlete my whole life. I really was, you know, I loved playing sports. My family, my parents were good athletes and I wanted to, you know, find ways to help people progress in their fitness career, you know, as, as I developed. And so I got my undergraduate at Bridgewater State University in exercise science. I have my master's in strength and conditioning from Bridgewater State University and a PhD from Springfield College focusing on exercise physiology. So when when I left my master's degree, I spent a couple years working at a couple division one institutions, sport performance, football was my main sport as far as what I played and then what I wanted to kind of help athletes develop as the years went on. And then I just felt that I had a really good ability to take complex topics and simplify them and get athletes to understand why they were doing what they were doing to buy in. And that fueled my decision to go get a PhD. And so I've been a college professor now for seven years. This is my seventh full-time year. I taught as a PhD candidate and now I've taught at four separate institutions. So I feel like I have a good grasp of the applied side, what's done on the applied side, and then also a really good understanding of what's done on the academic side. And kind of my role is really to try and bridge the gap between the two. And then I'm also an internship coordinator at American International College where I teach now. And so I oversee all of their internship experiences, where they're going, what types of experiences they're getting, and kind of filling in the gaps of what's done in the classroom and then what's done in the real world. Awesome. Yeah. that I mean, all that makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. It's a I think a really unique story because you did your internship before your PhD, and I'm sure you probably saw a lot of things that you wouldn't have necessarily seen had you went directly into your PhD. So, you know, one of the things, Chris, I wanted to, you know, just to fill the audience in on, I actually met Dr. Chris doing my master's degree at Bridgewater State. And it's funny how we got linked up through one of my professors, Dr. Haslam. I know he's probably never going to hear this, but he's obviously, I credit him for for introducing us. He was really adamant that I connect with you. And I guess, you know, you being a younger guy and just, I guess, having more of the up-to-date knowledge, I will say, versus a lot of these guys that have just been doing it forever. And, you know, they might still be fixated on studies from 
the sixties or seventies. Um, but he was really adamant on us connecting. And, uh, obviously, you know, from there we've gone on, you know, to become friends and we, we put out our, our, our last edition of our course. We've got a brand new course coming out. So I just want to give the audience some backstory on that, because one of the things I think that's very important, and I, I know you've mentioned this a few times is that the connections that we make in the fitness industry, I would say are probably as beneficial as anything else that we're going to learn the connections that we make connecting with people that we can then learn things from. I mean, for you, for, for me, you really helped me understand muscle physiology, exercise metabolism a lot better. You know, one of my projects I did with you, I mean, it, it, again, the way, like you said, your ability to explain things, complex topics and make it easier for me to understand. That was something that I was, I was definitely looking to scratch that itch with and something I was able to do once I had connected with you. So I think that my message is that, you know, we make these connections and whether it's in, you know, academia or it's just, maybe you meet someone on Instagram. I've met a ton of great people on Instagram, just social media. These connections are really, really important. And they really serve to help facilitate the learning process, whether it be with something specific in the field, or maybe it just be how to connect with more of the right people. So just wanted to give you guys some backstory on that. Chris, one of the things that I think probably one of the bigger things that I have a gripe with is that when I did my master's degree, I felt there was really very little, you know, really touched on as far as program design. And even some of my classes that were designing resistance training programs, that was actually the name of one of the classes. You know, I see students walking away from this being like not prepared at all. I actually had a few guys that asked me some questions, you know, that working with different athletes, how they would improve their explosive strength is a good example. And, you know, should you devote a significant amount of time to just training the calves to get more explosive? That's another topic for another day. But my point being is that I felt that there was just a massive void. And I kind of wanted to get your feedback on what are you seeing with students that are maybe leaving an undergrad program and going to train people or or um, maybe they're going to a university to be an intern. What are you seeing and you know how well prepared or how well are they not prepared to be in that setting walking out of the door of a university? Great question. And first of all, yeah, you're right. Dr. Haslam will probably never hear this, but <laughs> you know, just real quick, after he had met with you, he came running down the hallway, coming into my office saying, you have to meet Jason Brown. I mean, he was so adamant, like you're saying, that the two of us get connected. So I'm very, very pleased that we did. And, and networking, not to go down that rabbit hole, but networking is what it's all about. That's the secret sauce of really any field. So my students and some of the students that I've been around, like in my time in higher education, I look at higher education in the academia world as very theoretical. And I think there's a lot of great professors out there. And this is obviously not to knock on any professors and their ability to speak about the science and the theory. But I do believe that most professors at the higher education level, that's their forte. And to be honest with you, although there are great programs out there that have professors that have a lot of applied experience, by and large, you don't really see a lot of great, a lot of programs that have a fully stacked professor faculty that really have applied experience. And if they do, it could be from multiple decades ago. Now, I'm not to discredit that and say that, that there's nothing that can be gained from that, but that becomes problematic because students 
tend to view their knowledge base in that theoretical sense and not the applied, how do I actually use it? And one of the examples that I, that we talk about all the time is like for people who are studying for like the CSCS, for example, the certified strength and conditioning specialist exam, you read through that textbook and it's going to give you like an ideal situation. If everything was perfect, this is what you would want to do. And in the real world, we know that that's probably never going to happen. And that's the disconnect between college programs and when students actually get out into the real world and start using the tools that they've learned. They simply just don't know how to take that bird's eye view and then put all the pieces together. So they've got the theory, they've got the concepts, but being able to write a program, in my opinion, is a very, very big weakness for many, many, many undergraduate students. And to be honest with you, a lot of graduate students even still come out of grad school with a relatively poor understanding of how to put it all together. And one of the ways that, at least on my side of things, that I always talk to students about is, you know, you have to decide early on where you're going to do your internships and really highlight getting a good internship experience because that's what's going to be the most beneficial for you. I learned more in my internship in three weeks than I did in my entire undergraduate and probably master's degree as well. So, you know, putting, putting yourself into the fire, so to speak, is as a professor, I'm fully willing to admit you're going to learn way more in the applied setting, doing it hands-on than you'll ever learn in a classroom. And so when we start to look at, okay, what are the weaknesses of students as they leave the undergraduate, you know, and kind of get out into the field, I think that they just simply don't understand that process of adaptation. I think they don't necessarily have a good grasp on how to program things from like a recovery standpoint. So how do I fit these pieces in to make sure I'm not burning the candle on both ends? How do I implement? And one of the things that, you know, you and I do really well, especially with this course that that we're putting out is the concurrent method of how do I put strength training and conditioning in the same session or the, you know, the same week and, and how does that play out? And that's where, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues there. And then the last thing I'll say is I think, you know, a lot of coaches and a lot of students as they transition from the undergraduate to the real world, I think a lot of them just don't understand how to make adjustments on the fly because that's very difficult to simulate in a classroom. And so that's a big issue. And then I'll say one other weakness that just came to the top of my head is, you know, in most college programs, there's typically a course that's going to be exercise program design. But in most cases, you might write a program for a professor that's like four weeks Mm -hmm. and you're not really seeing things from one cycle to the next or one phase to the next. And how does this build off each other? And how do we start from a 12 month plan and then kind of reverse? engineer the process to then go into the week by week. And that takes a lot of time. And unfortunately, like I just said, most of the time in a higher education sense, you might have one class as a professor to be able to go over that. And it's just not enough time. Well, I agree. I mean, I think what I saw, you know, from even in, um, you know, postgraduate is that I had two classes on program design. And again, I would 
probably use that term loosely. It was more on, you know, understanding just different aspects of program design. It wasn't really understanding how to put all those pieces together. Now, we never talked about concurrent. And when you read about concurrent in a textbook, I mean, any study you read about the results are not favorable. There is always some type of interference that takes place. And of course, we know that there are are multiple ways to skin the cat. So I think, I guess I just didn't understand why. And I guess, you know, you saying that it just takes too long, why there isn't a better resource for these students or why there isn't a program that is really dedicated to just the nuances. And I'm not talking going down a rabbit hole with science and really trying to understand the nervous system. I'm talking about just really the basics. If we think about the basics of program design, what is it? Well, exercise order is is probably at the top of the list. Sets, reps, rest intervals is of course in there. And then, you know, you can obviously expound upon that more with how the training affects the nervous system. Now, is that overly complex where you couldn't handle that in one semester? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on something that is more Again, I hate to say remedial, but I feel like that's the thing that is skipped. And when me working with coaches just this past, even just this past year, the thing that I've seen, even from a lot of these coaches that do have exercise science degrees, is that it's like almost like they just skipped the basics. And they said, you know what? I just want to get into the, the complex and I want to program max effort squats and I want to program high intensity intervals, yada, yada, yada. And you know what? I don't even care how it's how the sets and reps play out. I'm just going to program that stuff because it looks great on paper. Why do you think that there isn't something that is, again, more refining just the basics of program design? Yeah. Once again, it's another excellent question. And I think, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, once again, there's not a lot of professors that I think really have that skill set to do it really effectively. So like most programs would have to outsource that, hire an adjunct. That's a whole separate conversation. But I think in many ways, at least from my perspective as a professor, the younger learner of today's day and age, we always tend to go back. And I always find myself, at least from my perspective in the classroom, going back to some of the traditional information of energy systems, like you're saying, you know, a little bit about um, sets and reps. And that's always been a weakness of students. But yet, as far as higher education goes, we have a certain program outcome that we have to hit. So then we have to move on to some other things. So I agree with you 1000%. I use the phrase, a lot of coaches major in the minors. They spend so much time focusing on that detail that you brought up that if they don't have the base structure of exercise selection, sets, reps, rest periods, that you can learn all you want about the fancy stuff, but it's never going to really pay off in the long run because you didn't set up the foundation effectively. And, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a big issue. And and I think, like I said as well, you know, there is a time constraint to this, but I wish that we saw programs that had like exercise program design one, exercise Mm -hmm. program design two, you know, and like, there's a lot of programs that have exercise physiology one and two, where it's like a full year, but I very rarely see programs with a full year of program design. And that's always been in, that's always been something that I've brought up. How come you're going to put extra stock in, you know, some of the sciencey stuff, but not the same amount of, of stock in the practical and applied information. And unfortunately, like I said, a lot of that does come back to 
the skill set of the people that are teaching teaching the courses. I mean, the people who are doing it best, that are programming the best, are typically off on their own and not teaching in higher education spaces. I mean, let's be honest, that's in full disclosure. I mean, that's really what it comes down to as well. That's that's another challenging aspect of it. Well, I think too, like you mentioned early on, like doing an internship is huge. I mean, that for me was really where I got my formal education on programming. And it's funny because even putting you know our new course together, I had the epiphany this past year that I didn't teach people how to write programs the way I learned. Why didn't I do that? Because I thought that the basics were too basic. I didn't think that anyone wanted to learn or needed to learn about sets, reps, and rest and rules. I just assumed that that was common knowledge. And it, you know what happens when you assume. And needless to say, I went back to the drawing board and really taught people how I learned, which was looking at templates, looking at great programs, asking questions of people a lot smarter than me doing the programs myself, which is, I think, probably the most important thing there is. If you are not your own guinea pig first and foremost, then you're likely going to see that things do not play out the way that you originally planned. So the only way you can figure that out is you have to do it on yourself. So you know, for me, that was, again, taking training programs I had during my internship. And again, that was like six years worth of programs I had, which I still have in a binder sitting in front of me and using those as my, my template. Like, okay, if I am going to write a conjugate-based program. And if I just plug in exactly, almost exactly what's in this program and I make it my own, I know that it's probably going to go well because it worked for me back then. And that's basically what I did. And now when I plugged in different exercises, sometimes I found out that, and this was before we had YouTube, this was like, there was like one website where you could go to that had exercises for every body part. And they all had like really cool names, like barn door back, horseshoe triceps. And it was, I, I can't remember what the site was, but it was really cool. And it was the only resource I had. So I used that site at my disposal and I plugged in exercises. And again, that was kind of the, the turning point I had in my head. Well, the coaches I'm working with still are not writing good programs. What am I doing wrong? What have I not taught them that is, you know, getting, having, allowing them to have that light bulb moment? So would you say that, you know, the most important thing is, is just getting out and doing it and, and practicing on yourself? Or what if someone is not coming from, you know, academia, they they don't have the ability to do an internship somewhere? What, what would your advice be to those people as far as just becoming an expert at programming? I think you hit the nail right on the head. You can't become a good programmer without practicing either on yourself, which many people do, they're, they're their own guinea pig, or a family member, friends, you know, writing programs for people, seeing what works, what doesn't work, you know, getting actual advice from people or feedback on your programming. That's what's going to be the, the big marker in the long run. In my side of it, like even in the higher education side, you know, a lot of people whether it be higher education or just generally the applied setting, there's not a lot of coaches out there that I feel are very proficient at writing programs in multiple different styles too. So like people who are learning from somebody, for the most part, most people have like their expert style that they use and you kind of soak up that information. And then my advice to young coaches is great. Take that information that you just learned. Now go sit with another professional and another programmer and sit with another one and another one. And it becomes tedious and it becomes something that, you know, you're going to be hearing the same thing over and over again in many cases. 
but then you're going to get that light bulb moment from that one coach that you didn't get from another. So I'm not saying that necessarily you have to do multiple internships or things like that if that's not available to you, or you're not coming from a traditional undergraduate exercise science program. But don't get me wrong, you can get you can get into a lot of facilities, a lot of strength coaches and fitness professionals, personal trainers, like they had help to get to where they are. And there are a lot of good people in our field mm -hmm. that are very, very willing to talk with you, share their experience, share their resources, how they learned. That's the crux of how you're going to become a really, really good coach. So yes, you have to do it yourself. You have to write programs, try them on yourself and, you know, really talk and meet with as many different people as possible and work out with people. One of the best things I've ever done with other professionals and colleagues is like, I work out with them. I pick their brains. We talk while we're working out and, you know, kind of get some, bounce some philosophies off each other. And some of those conversations have been, you know, the most rewarding as far as my professional development. So, mm -hmm. you know, I always recommend that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, of course we've got the power of social media. So, you know, follow the right people on social media and, and, and don't be afraid to ask a question. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, I can't ask that question because they're going to think, oh, he didn't, he or she didn't know that. 99.9% .9 of the time, the person answering the question does not view it that way. They enjoy talking about their field, their professionals in their field. So as a young professional, don't be afraid to do that. It is going to pay off dividends more than you know. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, I've been exposed to so many people that are, have come into this game later in life a lot of CrossFit gym owners. I mean, it, you know, I started off doing online programming predominantly for CrossFit boxes, writing their program. It was, I was doing online programming for individuals is way far, you know, back in 2005, 2006, but a lot of that online programming I did back then, you know, was for my friends, like you kind of mentioned, I wasn't charging anything back in the day. So it was more of just kind of to get my feet wet. But a lot of the people that I've met through the CrossFit community, they, you know, they found CrossFit, they loved it. They just kind of got the bug of, I want to learn more. And some of them end up, you know, leaving. I, I know so many people that left their careers that had great careers and open gyms, you know, so they're, they're coming into this later and they, they might not have the practical side of the things. They might not have, you know, even any experience as far as even reading a basic textbook, but they are motivated to learn. So they get their L1. And again, you're not really getting any programming in that. And then it's like really a few months or even less, depending on, you know, if you have a space and everything kind of laid out, you can start training people right away. So I've, I've met a lot of people that have that as their background. And, you know, honestly, when I launched my first, first course, which was even before I met you, it was really more geared towards CrossFit coaches because again, their only education was the CrossFit L1, which is a two day seminar. And programming is like literally an hour of that entire certification. You know, you're not spending a whole lot of time and, you know, not to go down talking about CrossFit, but that programming is its own animal. And it's not necessarily correct on a lot of areas. There are a lot of things that are negated, like the nervous system, which again, high intensity workouts work, but you can't do them every day, especially for people that are already chronically stressed out. So that's another, another topic. But my point being is that a lot of these people just didn't have any education. They didn't really know where to go for it other than CrossFit seminars, which, you know, by and large, I've done probably six or seven CrossFit seminars and they were all great. I don't have any criticism of those seminars. I enjoyed every single one of them. Um, but I would say if, you know, you're coming from 
just having no education and you need to learn how to program and you need to learn the basic nuances of programming, then you know there are got to be some some options for you as far beyond just reading a textbook. What would you recommend to those people? I know a lot of those people are that follow me and a lot of those people that uh, are still, you know, they have the fire to learn more, but they certainly can't do an internship. They probably have a full-time gym where they just don't have the time. What would you recommend to those people? I think one of the biggest pieces of advice that I've gotten from people that have had a ton of success writing programs is even if they didn't have the resources at a young, as a young professional to, to be able to go to seminars or conferences or internships, they tracked the data of their programming. And a lot of people don't do that. There's a lot of coaches out there, they'll write a program and then they'll just kind of try and evaluate it subjectively at the end, whether or not it worked and not actually tracked some metrics and paid attention to what was working and what wasn't working. So I think that's something that you can really do as a young or any, any stage in your professional career to really hone in and develop your programming skills is actually having a method to track what, you know, what are you seeing and what's your plan to change that from one cycle to the next or one workout program to the next. And then the other piece of advice that I always give people is, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Sometimes I'll tell young professionals, let's say you write an eight-week training program and you're four weeks or three, four weeks into it and you're not happy with it. Some people have the propensity to like, oh, let me just rip that up and let me change everything. And I think as a young professional, no, go through the program, like, you know, and then evaluate it at the end of the eight weeks and see what you can do better. So sometimes I think people will get away from things too quickly and be almost, you know, afraid to, to have an inferior your product, so to speak, but there's a learning curve. There's, a, there's always going to be a learning curve. And so I think those two things, even if you don't have the resources or time to do your own self-learning, learn within your own programming, I think is, is a key aspect to professional development. That's a great point. I actually didn't think you were going to go that direction. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that you did go the, the route of tracking metrics. Actually, that's not something I would have would have thought of mentioning, but you know, to to follow up on your question, to really piggyback off your question, to me, I would say that you know exactly what you said. Practicing, but one thing I've done is bought programs. You know, and I'm not saying you have to buy my programs. I'm not trying to plug my programs right now, but I bought programs from all of the top strength coaches. You name it. If you could throw out a name right now, yeah, I'd probably bought their program. And you know, even this isn't something I do as much now, but you know, even in the last year or so, I still buy programs. I want to see what other great coaches, coaches that I know are world-renowned coaches. I want to see the way they're programming. And I have a lot of people that come on board with me because for the same reason, they're coaches and they want to see how I program. So I think that that is a tremendous learning tool. Sometimes I I will get ideas from other coaches and I will look at something in a different way. And it's a very inexpensive way. You think most training programs, you know, if you buy a 12 week program online, it's anywhere from, from 77 to 97 bucks. It's kind of the, the uh, sweet spot for those programs. And a lot of times I will do the training program myself. And it's, you know, again, you learn something, even if I don't love it or I get through it and I'm like, you know what, I'm just not feeling this program. I invariably learned something about not only myself, but programming, and I'm able to apply that to my own things because none of us have all the answers. And I think that if we can 
glean some good information from other coaches and have it improve our product, then obviously, you know, we all win at the end of the day. That's something I would highly recommend. And, and again, you know, not to plug my course, but that's exactly what I wanted to do with this is just to put a lot of programming, a lot of templates. So you could just see it, plug it in and say, oh, well, this is how it's plugged in. And I could do essentially the same thing and maybe just use some different variations and call it my own. That's great. That's, you know, at the end of the day, like I didn't invent concurrent training. I didn't invent you know, laying out the week. I, I got that from Louis Simmons. Yeah, I'll be the first one to tell you. Now, some of the things that we use with conjugate are a little bit different and probably a little bit unorthodox compared to what most powerlifters would use. But again, that's I wouldn't have known how to do that had I not, you know, bought other people's courses, bought other people's books. You know, my last episode I talked about resources. There's just a ton of resources at our fingertips where you don't necessarily have to even leave your home. You can get a, a really great education from the comfort of your own home. And, you know, again, start plugging and playing programming and, and seeing how things turn out when you just experiment on yourself. I love it. I think that is such a great piece of advice. And I, I echo that a thousand percent because all throughout my PhD and you know, working as a college professor, I have bought programs from other people and seen what they did and used some of those concepts like in my courses. And, you know, I, I think that's an excellent kind of low cost way to get a lot of good value. The other thing I'll say is like a lot of coaches and like, including myself when I was in the field and really, you know, on the applied side of it, I was my own guinea pig. I was constantly trying new styles. I never really stuck with one thing because I always had the philosophy of, I don't want to give an athlete or a client a workout session that I've never done or couldn't go through myself. And so I think that's really important is to put your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of your clients and actually go through the programming and kind of get that experience and see what tools you like and what you don't like. And that's just your own professional development and creating toolboxes. So yeah, I think that's such a great piece of advice is, is to you know diversify the programs that you see and you're exposed to and that you try. And that's only going to make you a better programmer in what you do best. Because at the end of the day, we're all individualistic. We all have things that you know we think work best for our style and our programming. And then we adapt from there. And you'll never know that unless you go out and try other things. Real quick, the last thing I'll say is I made that mistake. So when I was an undergraduate student at Bridgewater, I learned under a professor there and I thought that that was the way. I was sold on it. I didn't want to hear anybody else. And I feel like that really, it stunted my professional growth for a while because I had that ego of, I'm not even going to listen to you. I've learned it the right way. And this is what's going to happen. And then you quickly realize there's a lot of ways to do this. And you know you really shouldn't look at it as this is the only way. And, and I definitely made that mistake as a young professional, for sure. That's a great point. And I think you know just to follow up with that, I, I will tell you know the audience that initially I was exposed to conjugate very early on in my, my strength training career as a young athlete. And obviously later on, I went into the military. So that was what got me exposed to CrossFit. And then I realized that, you know what, I really enjoyed CrossFit, but I wanted, I knew that there were some holes in it. And, you know, the strength development side was just not there with it. So I tried to pair linear training CrossFit <laughs> that didn't work well. And, you know, this, that cycle went on for me from 2006 to 2014, I experimented combining things with CrossFit and I owned a CrossFit gym. So it made sense. And lo and behold, I already had the answer. Anytime I always was stale or I was, you know, felt like I was losing strength. I would always go back to conjugate because I knew conjugate worked. And lo and behold, I had the answer all along. I didn't know it then, but 
combining energy systems development with conjugate was the answer I had been looking for. So my point being is that I went through so many various training systems. I did programs off a of T nation. I did full body training, German volume, linear, you know, CrossFit with a combination of literally you name it, which is a, a problem in the community that I've talked about ad nauseum, but experimenting with just so many different styles of training, that's how I arrived at what I use. And that's why I bring on clients that are the right fit for my style of training. Not everyone is the right fit for this system. I have some clients I use full body sessions with, but overall, this is the system that I have arrived at because of my experience, not because a professor told me or, or you know, someone else that's a well-known name in the industry does it. I've arrived at it because I've experimented. So the practical side of it is super, super important. It's not required to have practical experience to get a PhD, but it is required. If you want to be a great world-class coach, you have to have the practical side of it. And that's the way you do it. You've got to practice what you preach. You got to experiment. You got to be in the trenches. The only downside I would say is that you're probably going to find yourself jumping around a lot for a while. And I will tell you firsthand that I get better results when I stick to something. When I do the same training for three weeks at a time, I get better results than if I just hop around all the all the time. And now my structure of the training always stays pretty much the same. But you know, if when I can stick to a program, I get better results. The downside is that for you guys that are younger that are still just kind of learning, you are probably going to have to experiment with a lot of different things. So you might not be able to stick to a program for as long as you'd like to. But if you do and you buy someone else's program, and let's say you do it for 12 weeks, nine to 12 weeks, you're going to learn a lot throughout that process. So I would highly recommend gaining the practical knowledge before you start training people or writing programs. Yeah. You brought up a great point in the fact of like, know the limits of your programming too. Not every, not, there's no one training program that's going to work for everybody. Obviously, what are the limits? What cases can I use this style of programming? What cases should I stay away from it? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? All that is important. And then one thing I tell my students all the time, if your programming looks the same 10 years from now as it does today, <laughs> you're doing something wrong. So like my point there is it's going to evolve. Your programming will evolve over time. It mm-hmm. should evolve over time. And that's when you know you're doing something right. And, and it's there's nothing wrong with, at least in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with writing a training program that didn't work out. I mean, mm-hmm. now you learn from that and you right. know that, hey, in this particular case scenario, that's not going to be probably the best approach. And now when I get that same client or I see that scenario again, now I know how to do it better. And so sometimes coaches... And I was like this as a young professional. I wanted to just be great already as a young professional. And right. you know, that's never going to be the case. And so that's really important. Let it evolve. Let it slow cook. And you know, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's so much fun to learn from other people and, and take these tools to better yourself and your ability as a coach and your ability to you know, get results for clients. Because at the end of the day, I always love the, the phrase, nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. You know, and once your clients know that, you know, you care about them, they're going to start to listen to you. There's going to be better lines of communication. And then at that point, especially if you're a good motivator, almost any program is going to work for a new person. So Mm -hmm. let yourself get comfortable and slowly develop over time for sure. I love that, Chris. I think that's a, that's a great place to end for today. I appreciate having you on. I appreciate your, your knowledge. And uh, if you guys aren't following Dr. Chris, make sure you check out his IG page. He's crushing reels right now. I'm waiting to see some break dancing. 
fingers crossed. Oh, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. I know. I, I would imagine that doing break dancing on a reel, probably going to be a lot of work. It's probably going to take you like a week to set that one up and yeah, execute yeah. <laughs> it. So luckily for the world, my wife does my reels because I hate doing reels. They are so annoying. The captions, the timing, the music. Thank God I have my wife to do it because I would be losing years of my life if I had to tackle those on a weekly basis. But last point I want to make today. And actually now I think I lost my train of thought. I had something in my head I wanted to say while you were talking and now I forget it, but I'm sure I'll get it on the next show. By the time you guys hear this programming playbook will likely be out again. I I don't want to get on these shows and plug my stuff all the time. I want to provide value for you guys. It is the ultimate programming resource. You guys will not be disappointed. I have put my entire life into this. Chris has gone above and beyond with all the exercise science fundamentals and everything you need to know as far as programming. It is a killer course. I have never been so excited about launching something than I am right now for this course. So if you guys are looking for programming, that is programming strength conditioning within the same week of training and programming scenarios for a variety of different types of clients, whether they train two, three, four, five times a week, or they're a specialty athlete, like a tactical or MMA, you go down the list. There's a ton of different scenarios there. We also have a great support channel for this in Slack that we are going to be using. So it is the ultimate resource, hence the name. And I'm super pumped for you guys to see it. Chris, final thought. I just want to add, you know, in this, I'm going to plug it myself too, because, and I only say that because I've seen a lot of different college programs. I've been involved in four myself as faculty members. I've got a lot of peers and colleagues at multiple different places. There's nothing like this particular playbook that's being taught at the college level in in 99% of places. So, I mean, this is really going to take somebody to the next level. And I'm, I'm very passionate about the project that we worked on and I can't wait for people to see it. But as always, I appreciate you letting me join your platform and speak to the audience. And uh, if anybody ever has any questions, please always feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help. Tell them what your IG is and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's yep. it's, so, doc, it's Dr. Swart, right? Dr. Swart. So it's D-O-C-T-O-R, spell out doctor dot and then S-W-A-R-T, Dr. Swart. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys listening. Dr. Chris, always appreciate having you on. I'm sure we'll do this again. And make sure you're submitting questions for us. I I love seeing those and and it obviously helps facilitate the show. So submit your questions and we'll see you on the next show. This was another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on all podcast platforms. 